Are we recording? Yeah, we are. are we I should have known. Oh, I should have known. I figure as long as we're in a room. Aaron Antone classic. If the three of us are in a room together, there's going to be something worth <laughs> something putting on worth on tape, on the old hard drive. Yeah. Oh, boy. So. I was just listening to a podcast uh, telling a story about a guy who like recorded like everything all the time. He oh. was recording. It kind of became pathological yeah. for him. So he kind of... He set up like had his shirt and then like pants such that like there was he had a hole in all of his pockets so he could run a wire up so he was always kind of mic'd up and recording <laughs> and it became like alienating <laughs> oh, to people no. around him because they're well, like yeah. like I'm always you're always recording and you're not like he was kind of not he wasn't always telling people he was recording these moments but oh. for him he was like I feel like I might miss something good if I don't record but oh then, interesting. Actually, it kind of cheated him in the in the he reverse was way. Missing a lot of right, he was things. missing. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like if you do that, you literally need two lifetimes in order to sort one of, to live and record, and then one, and to, then listen. one to listen back. <laughs> <laughs> There's this whole idea of um, I don't know if it's a whole idea, but it's a thing I'm thinking about lately, which is like data hoarding. Uh huh. And it's easy to do because it's relatively inexpensive to just kind of keep everything that you come into contact with data-wise, but especially if you're kind of creating your own data, whether that's video or audio. So like when you have kids, you're just snapping photos all the time. Well, you know, companies have found a way to make that easy. They just store it in the cloud for Uh you, and then you just sort of don't have to think about it again. (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of there. But uh, we have, you know, like a little video camera to, like a little action camera to when the kids are skiing and stuff and that's fun to make, but then it's like, okay, we just spent all day. Are we going to watch like all that stuff? Right. right? No, it's going to sit on a hard drive for a while, perhaps Mm -hmm. years or, and maybe never look that again. Anyway. So part of my, part of my actually kind of new, I don't really do new year's resolutions, but part of this is to like, like do something with that, all that stuff. So all these video files, I mean, they're going to delete them or I'm going to just going to make a, like a, Two minute edit and then just get rid of the rest, like the highlights kind of stuff. Yeah, so. that's pretty ambitious. It, it is As New Year's non-resolutions go. That's quite an ambitious one. I don't know if it's like the best use of my time. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it because I sometimes I'll do a little like like uh, make some music to kind of put with it, and it's yeah. it's like it kind of keeps the juices flowing a little bit. But uh, um, and but it's sort of like there's a lot of people who create stuff for everybody and like. Right, just like throw it on YouTube, or they yeah, have a yeah. following, or whatever. And I feel like this is just like for the four people in my family who are interested <laughs> in watching my kids. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, put it out on Facebook or anything. So I don't know. I'm kind of still thinking about the best way to think about this. You guys have any ideas? Well, I think you've, you've undersold the interest in your family. I think it's quite <laughs> Jolene's photos on uh, Facebook would attest. There's quite, yeah, a, yeah. There's quite a following out yeah, there. Yeah, okay. True. Well, maybe I'll just throw it out there. Um, no, it's really interesting. I haven't actually thought much about kind of data in our relationship with it. Mm. Although I should, because you're right. There's just like all these pictures. And then how do you... Yeah, yeah, what I like about what you're saying is you're saying, I want to engage more intentionally with the data I have. Yeah. So it's not just sort of, like you said, it's just in the cloud. Right. Take a photo. Right. I might never look at that photo again, but it's there if I need it, right? (laughs) Instead, you're saying, like, okay, what is actually the purpose of this in my life? Right, which is, like, it's, it's, the way data works now is different than where it was like, okay, I'll make a photo album 
of my photo, like physical photos, right? right? So you'd be right. like, oh, okay, I'll take these photos and then they'll go in a photo album and that will go on my shelf. And even if they never make it to the photo album, you might have had like the intention at some point yeah. of putting them in a phobo, pho- phobo photo album. <laughs> and now, like, we just don't have that level of intention with these things. Right. It's it's everything, yeah, everything yep. is kind of at the same level of, we're engaged with it at all on the same level, That's whether it's really great or not great at all. One thing that Rachel does, and this is kind of along the, along these lines, so she goes and makes a photo book, like the, you can do these pretty cheap online, of oh, each yeah. year. So she started doing this, oh. like, at, uh, so her first one was for 2017. And for exactly some of these reasons, she had the same sense. It's like you take all these photos and then you never remember like what, right. like you never go back to them. Right. And so her goal is to kind of just do one each year rather than nice. some people are like, I want to do a photo book for each vacation or each oh, thing. Yeah. She's just trying to do them manually, which credit to her, but it's kind of neat. And then you get just some of the highlights in the same way. But It's still nice to look through a, like a book Real. of pictures. It is pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what... It is. It feels primal somehow. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but instead of swiping on a screen, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Just figure that out sometime. I mean, that's that that opening conversation is just kind of bonus content that people expect that, from Curious Church. That could be the pre, yeah, extra pre, thoughtful. Yeah, they weren't expecting to hear about that today. They thought, oh, usually it's all just giggles and fun before the <laughs> before the jingle. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. As we like to say, we're back. We're back. Do you know what I was thinking about, though? We're, we've always been here. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't know what okay. you mean. Let me you explain. Need to explain that. Let me explain. We have always been, we're, we've not been in people's ear holes, but we've always kind of existed and been having conversations and building relationships and having, you know, talking to each other just without microphones. So in a sense, we're not really back. We're just set up the microphones. So what you're saying for is, this next it's more like you're back. Like the oh, listener is back. Oh, <laughs> this is nice. good. Right? Because they're just joining us now. So hey, it's you're like, back. Hey, they just you're came into back. the room. <laughs> it's so good. Look to, at you. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to be listened to by you. <laughs> and maybe it should actually be like more shocked. You're back? <laughs> you're back. Really? <laughs> wow. New episode of the new year. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're kicking it off with a real ringer of a guest, a semi regular guest. The doctor, Reverend Kevin Adams, is back. <laughs> oh, my cheers from no, oh, well, two people. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had sort of anything of substance happen in this room, so we needed to bring in someone, a quality, high-quality yep. guest. And they yeah. couldn't make it. <laughs> so you so we went two offices down the hall, and there I was, just waiting oh. and hoping to be asked. No, it's good to have you back on, Kevin. It's great to be with such esteemed people. Should we start with a segment of some kind? Yeah, I've got you have so. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. You know, take it away. Okay. Matt. Matt emailed us earlier and said, "I've got I've got some things I need to be doing." Yeah. Today. So I've, I've got, got get some I've, things off. My I got a couple segments up my sleeve. We'll see if they uh, they both make the air. But the first one is the return. It really, just as the fruit in the garden takes us all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, 
So do apples take us back to the beginning, the genesis of this podcast, if you I can, will. I can hear people turning up the volume and all this. over <laughs> North America. And so, friends, it is time for the return of your favorite segment and ours, Apple Talk. Talking about, talking about, talking about apples. Yes, Apple Talk is back. We This is actually uh, a slightly dated Apple Talk that I realized had just been sitting on my list and sent to us. This is kind of a an Adams Family show because this was sent to us by Jerry Adams. Oh, okay. Uh, an article quite a little bit ago, but oh, not right. that old. That's right, you're right. You remember this, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's very important and it's particularly important because it confirms something that this podcast has always held to religiously. <laughs> So I'll read you. I'll read you the title. So this was an article in late August, early September, in the New York Times by Niraj Chokshi. You've heard of the New York Times, yeah. yeah. Well, their authority in your mind is about to <laughs> yeah. increase. They're always mining us for information. Here, here's the title: The long, monstrous reign of the red, delicious apple <laughs> is ending. <laughs> yes. Monstrous. Yeah. I love it. And I've got just a couple pull quotes here to share with you. We could read the whole thing, but it got kind of long. So here's just a little bit. After more than a half century as America's most grown apple, which first of all, we can pause on that. I thought you were going to say most gross. <laughs> most gross. <laughs> it should be most gross. <laughs> okay. But it's unbelievable to me that the Red Delicious is the most grown apple. Yeah. But the Red Delicious is on track to be ousted this year by a sweet, juicy young upstart, the Gala. Okay, interesting. It's the beginning of the end, said Tom Burford, (laughs) an Apple historian, (laughs) orchard consultant, (laughs) and admitted Red Delicious detractor. So at least he's being honest. How are you going to market a tasteless apple when the consumer has tasted so many good apples? (laughs) I love this guy. That's a fair question, Mr. Burford. Despite his (laughs) bias, he has a point. The decline of the Red Delicious with its mild flavor and often mealy texture can be credited Credited to a shift in consumer preferences toward apples that are crunchier, crisper, and sweeter. To which I think we and all listeners of this show just say, Amen. 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 Yeah. amen and amen. <laughs> what took so long? Amen. But here, here is the most remarkable thing to me about this article. Because all of that makes sense and I track with it. But then they say, the Red Delicious is still projected to be the second most popular apple by production oh, wow. in America. according to the group, which claims 7,500 growers as members. So that's the group that's kind of putting out this this report. The Granny Smith will be third, followed by Fuji and the Ascendant Honeycrisp, which could Uh, rise to third place as soon as 2020. Let's get the Honeycrisp You're here for the Honeycrisp, so shout out. What's amazing to me is that its decline is just going from number one to number two. Yeah, it should be a it should be a precipitous oh, fall. <laughs> it should be a free fall. Yeah, that, yeah. that should be a free fall off a cliff. <laughs> for we should just gather the red delicious, uproot the trees, uproot and throw them the off trees. a cliff, <laughs> and just say be done with it. Not a book burning, what? an apple yeah, burning. That's, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, none of us are really in sort of the agricultural industry, so maybe. We just don't know what it takes to change your orchard over, you know, uh, to something else. I bet it's kind of a big deal. I'm sure. I'm sure I, it is. I bet but, it is. It may take years. But you know, yeah. people are called to sacrifice sometimes for the sake of the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> this might be. It is. You. You make a very good point. For people who are not experts in the agricultural field, we comment on this particular area. Yeah. Of agriculture, far more than is warranted, but. 
<laughs> but this is an important issue. And I thought it was helpful for us to just reflect that all of our comments, all of our agitating is finally having an impact on the consumer of American apples. <laughs> and that's so. just in one area of topics yeah. that have been covered over the last that's couple true. years. Think Imagine what is out there <laughs> as a result of the Curious Church With podcast. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and I think right. we've wielded it wisely. I think, I think this is a good cause. So, yeah. That's a little Apple Talk Very update. Nice. Thanks, Jerry, for sending that along. Yes, great. Well done, Jerry. We're going to talk this morning. You know, it's this morning for us. It's not necessarily morning for you, it's the listeners. somewhere right now. Who? <laughs> yeah, it's morning somewhere. <laughs> Some of our listeners are experiencing the sunrise yeah. as we speak. That's yeah. true. Um, we're going to talk about baptism today and baptismal identity, what it means to be baptized why baptism is a good thing, I think we would argue. <laughs> I would. I would. Okay. Is it a good thing? No. Hmm. We could maybe scoot, cruise past that question. But um, yeah, and, and we, I hadn't planned to talk about, to say this particularly right now, but we have, we have a kind of a staff meeting later today where we're talking a little bit about the sacraments. So there was one section on baptism, which I thought, I might uh, cheat and pull some nice <laughs> thoughts from, unless you do before yeah, yeah, yeah. me. But uh, do you want to start with some a question or two? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, one of the things uh, at Granite Springs in particular is we talk pretty regularly about baptismal identity and baptism, and this is kind of an important piece. It's not emphasized at every church. So, Kevin, with you in the room, I thought I'd just ask like kind of a little hist- history uh, question of sure. how did this first kind of rise as something you were like this uh, this is a helpful emphasis for us to have where did that come from so so one way to think about it is we are a church with uh, people from all different backgrounds and happily our one of our biggest backgrounds is that I have no Christian church background but we probably have 30 to 40 different denominations represented so we think about what are ways to bring the best of the Christian traditions together? What are the core substances of every Christian tradition that we can talk about? So quite a few years ago, and, and that we can practice together, the best of Christian practices. So quite a few years ago, we uh, started to memorize the Bible together. And if you ask a, a Catholic person or an Orthodox person or a Baptist person or a Pentecostal person, <laughs> what do you think? Should we memorize the Bible? And they all you know, raise a cheer. They think this is a great idea. So, <laughs> so this is a practice that brings us all together. So rather than getting thin with our practices, we get kind of deep and rich with our practices. And it's not long after you memorize the Bible for a while that you start to intuitively memorize the Psalms, this prayer language of God's people of all times and places. So the next sort of year-long emphasis we had, again, drawing on people from all different uh, backgrounds, is that... Um, practicing, memorizing the Psalms and speaking the Psalms and loving the Psalms. So the baptismal identity year kind of followed from that. And I have hmm. to say, when I, when I said to the staff, hey, let's, what do you think about a whole year of scripture memory? There was like, yeah, you know, in theory, I should be for this. That's all good. <laughs> and when we talked about the Psalms, there wasn't immediate enthusiasm, but there was, the Psalms make sense, the prayer language of God's people of all times and places. But when I threw out there, hey, what do you think a year of baptismal identity? The response was, Oh no, this is a bad idea. <laughs> this is a bad idea because people argue so much about baptism. Uh-huh. And even within our small, our modest sized church, people uh, think differently about baptism. And it's quite emotional 
as everyone knows. I admit to being inside. one of these people sort of scared <laughs> to tread these waters, so to speak. <laughs> wisely oh. so. Hey, wisely right. so. Yeah. But, yeah. And so, 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 what, so what led you to it? Right. Then? That's background. So what led us to it is to recognize that baptismal identity, if we think about not necessarily the practice, how much water, at what age the water gets applied, what are the practices leading up to baptism? If we think more about baptism itself, what Paul says in Ephesians, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that is by definition a unifying thing. So we wondered together, could we think about baptismal uh, identity as a way to bring us together? So could we rally around Martin Luther, for example, who was really leaning into his Catholic upbringing and to his Protestant sort of uh, launching to say every day a person should look in the mirror and say, I am baptized. <laughs> that is the most fundamental thing I can mm -hmm. say about myself. Mm -hmm. So we wondered what would it be like for all of us to think about that and to live into that. So imagine a junior high, we imagined a junior higher waking up before you're going to school and saying, before I go to what we sometimes call purgatory of junior <laughs> high school, what would it be like for this person to say, I am baptized? Uh, I may be mocked today, I may be ridiculed, I may be an all-star, but what does it mean for me to be, say I am baptized? What does it mean for a plumber going into work to say, I'm tired of being a plumber, I've been a plumber 20 years, or an engineer 20 years, or a teacher 20 years, I'm tired of that. But what does it mean to say I am baptized and to kind of frame your vocation or your work experience in terms of that? So we wondered together, and it was quite a good year. Yeah, so I, th I think that's helpful and kind of interesting, right? Because here, baptism, you're talking about baptism and baptismal identity in particular as this unifying kind of uh, thing for the people of the church. And most of the time, you have people who are like, it's, it divides churches, right. churches split over baptism. People will leave because it's, it's, emotion, it's done a different way than they're used to, and it's emotionally not something they can get over. Right. On some level. Um, what, how do you kind of think about the pieces that tend to be divisive, right? So one thing I, I just heard you say is we didn't want to focus so much on how much water or when or these things, but when people think about baptism, that's where their minds tend to go, right? They think it's about- It's kind of the, the X's and O's of it. Yeah, or, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but how do you think about those? Are they Are they kind of unimportant when it comes to baptism? Are they things to- uh, yeah, things to set aside? Are they um, things that aren't impacting unity? Like, how do you kind of think about some of those details? We don't, we don't, we're not going to talk about all of them because we're going to kind of zero in, I think, on baptismal right. identity today. But right. Well, that's a great question. I, th I think they are important because they're important to the person uh, that's receiving baptism, and they're important to the community that's practicing baptism, or they're important because they have some effect of people separating baptism from community. So all those practices mm. are, I think, really important. But what we wanted to say is they're not the most important thing. All those practices derive from the main uh, idea, which is this uh, receiving God's grace. Uh, so baptism, like the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever word we use, and preaching have long been thought to be means of grace. Somehow in baptism, we experience God's grace, that we receive it. Mm -hmm. And so the, what we've really been saying is that's the most important thing. And that's a gift to give a person of any age, really. Um, <laughs> and that's what we want to emphasize. Yeah, that's great.
That's good. I had we one of the pieces we I had alluded to um, by N.T. Wright, right? So right. he wrote. He's writing. He kind of talked about. He talked about um, communion as well, but he thought, okay, so if communion is sort of the 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 meal, the the community of uh, the like the family of God coming together, like how how are you in the family? So his kind of his imagery was that baptism kind of like seals the deal, like you are God's now. And then that's, so now you're in the family and now, well, I guess this is more of an argument for kind of like communion participation, but then it's like, if regardless of your age, now you're in the family, now have like, let's eat together, right? Right. So I thought that that right. uh, was an interesting thing. And, and you imagery. can see, it, you can, it's hard to talk about baptism without talking about Eucharist or communion, or it's hard mm-hmm. to talk about Eucharist communion without talking about baptism because they so go together and emphasize each other. So yeah. It's no wonder that our Eastern Orthodox friends say to a little person um, when they're firstborn, we're going to baptize you as a sign that you belong to Christ. We're going to anoint you as a sign that you have been anointed by God's Holy Spirit. And then we're going to touch your lips with Eucharist as a sign to say you are now participating in the feast of God's people, hmm. uh, the soul food of God's people. Uh, they may be onto something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're saying this, is all, this all goes together in a wonderful way. Yeah. It's super interesting. So listening to both of you, so Kevin, you talked about baptism as a way we receive God's grace. And then Aaron, you're talking about it as kind of this thing that like seals the deal, like you're in the family now and God sees you that way. This is not how I grew up thinking about baptism, right? So my background is like independent Christian church. And I remember for me, right? So baptism, like a pretty classic evangelical description of baptism is that it's an outward expression of an inward decision. So sort of you decide to follow Christ. And then this is kind of, uh, maybe it's the seal, but really it's about letting other, it was always talked about letting other people know uh, that you believe in Jesus, right? So it's something that kind of I do. Um, And I remember even for me, right, that that gets wrapped up in um, all kinds of elements. So I remember my cousin, who's a month younger than me, got baptized. And part of my motivation for getting baptized when I did as a seven or eight year old was to catch up, to make sure like I didn't fall behind. Because, you know, my cousin who's younger than me just got baptized. So clearly it must be time for me to get baptized. He was more spiritually mature Uh, than you. And, you know, pastors in the church and my parents, I I mean, uh, it wasn't like that was the the only reason. They had conversations with me to make sure it was not purely competitive, but that was a factor. <laughs> somewhat right? competitive, but not purely. But it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah so it was definitely somewhat competitive. Uh, but, you know, as I hear both of you say, it's like, uh, these are very different perspectives on what baptism is than what sort of eight-year-old Matt was processing and thinking of as like, hey, this is uh, kind of my public profession and I do it in baptism. How, how do you kind of think about that that kind of pretty common colloquial definition of baptism, like what's helpful about that? And how does what some of what you're saying kind of push back on that perspective? I, I think the place to begin is, is maybe what's obvious, but should be named. Baptism is kind of a mystery. Mm. Like of all the things for God to ask us to do, the, the way sacraments work, we tend to emphasize, at least in the Protestant world, uh, the two sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper Eucharist, our Roman Catholic friends have more. But in the article that um, Aaron referred to, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright says, basically, wouldn't it be great if there are more sacraments? Like when you enter into the creation, 
you see God's sacramental presence in so many different ways and places. Mm. So what I would say, Matt, that's a lot to be said probably, mm-hmm. and more than any one person could say, but what I would say is the place I'd begin is um, what you described as baptism being a, a kind of profession of faith is, is part of baptism often. Uh, baptism is that, but mm-hmm. it's, w- I think, a lot more than that. So it's not less than that, but it's more than that. Yeah. Um, and I think the big thing going on, and I think that the reason I think this, because the church has thought this for a long time, is that baptism is a way that God graces us. So while we are presenting ourselves or cooperating, even Augustine, when he was baptized by Anselm, he's coming forward to be baptized, but he recognizes this is something he's receiving God's grace in some way we understand, in some ways we don't kind of understand. That's how I'd begin to kind of respond. Um, There's probably a lot more that we could talk about. Yeah. And will. (laughs) (laughs) Can I back up to sort of an element, maybe even a crude, but an elemental sort of question about baptism that I think maybe some listeners would have is that they might say, they might ask, does baptizing a person save their soul? Right. And, and uh, a person, uh, baptism, and Tom Wright talks about this in this wonderful article, which you can find on the Reformed Worship website and probably some other websites out there, Calvin Institute of Christian Worship website. Um, baptism doesn't make a person a Christian any more than, as someone would say, sort of tongue-in-cheek, being in the garage makes a person a car, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a sense in which baptism is this beautiful mark of God's grace, and yet we can see people who've been baptized who live without any semblance of faith mm-hmm. so um, and who live without any kind of responding to it. And so there is a, there is a faith human receiving element of it. So to answer it just point blank, baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but uh, one of my mental pictures, again, from centuries of Christian thought is baptism in a sense puts you into the, the stream of God's grace and it places, you You can crawl out of that stream, you can sort of go upstream and reject that stream and get out of it, but baptism puts you in the flow of grace. So the idea is you are graced, you are an insider. So uh, one shift maybe, Matt, from how you grew up, um, some churches are always trying to convert the five-year-olds, six-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds in their community where uh, if you have a different perspective, that person's been baptized there. In the f- you're teaching them grace. You're teaching them the practices of grace and to respond to grace. You're not waiting for them to receive this initial grace on their own. You think, no, we've, as a community, already placed you in grace. Uh, now we're re- helping you respond to and live that out. It's a different kind of way of thinking <laughs> about children's ministry, youth ministry, um, and even children's prayers at night, a whole host of practices, right? Right. <laughs> So that kind of this profession of faith is part of baptism, but the things that we're saying, right, they shift agency, right? Who's the primary agent here? And I think even the language you use, you're kind of uh, cooperate, like Augustine comes forward to be baptized and he's kind of cooperating, but he's not the primary agent in the act of baptism, Uh, which I think even uh, the most individualist of... um, kind of denominations or perspectives, uh, you're not baptizing yourself, right? right. There's always someone Except else. Except in the apostle, Robert De Niro did. But most of the time, that's, most of the time that doesn't happen. <laughs> most of the time you're Unless not you're baptizing in a movie. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is, I think, kind of a, 
there's always a recognition, right, that there's something being received, and then some traditions will emphasize that more heavily. And we're, I think we're kind of leaning into the, you know, what God is really the primary agent here as he gives us grace, and we just kind of get to receive, right. which is a really remarkable um, thing when you think about it, that this is an action we get to choose to participate in that also then where we're largely recipients. Like that's kind of uh, an abundantly gracious thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that idea of baptism or Eucharist being means of grace, it's not um, automatic. There needs to be some receiving by faith in there. But um, the fact that this is something God does, it's a gift from him, a grace from God is a pretty big idea, right? Yeah, totally. And I think even you think of some Bible stories about baptism. So one of the classic is from Acts that Philip... The apostle is running alongside a chariot that's uh, uh, occupied by an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And the next thing you know, Philip's teaching them about the book of Isaiah and how that connects to Jesus. And the next thing you know, the Ethiopian eunuch is saying, well, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, as an apostle... um, there is no reason you should be baptized right now. So you, you <laughs> kind of see all that going on right there. There's a sense of a personal kind of receptivity and engagement with, and you see uh, Philip as an apostle, a representative of the church saying, "You, there is no church in Ethiopia at this point. You're going to go probably start one. But as a representative of the church, as someone who's been commissioned by Jesus himself, um, we're going to baptize you and commission you and... Uh, kind of mark this moment of you entering the church. Yeah. So it's really kind of a, that, that story, it's also really a kind of a beautiful uh, emblem of grace, I would say. One of the fascinating things to me about sacraments is just how many layers there are, right? So one of my questions is like, what's happening when someone's baptized? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we've used language already like, well, there's receiving grace that happens there's, uh, in this case, sort of some commissioning, entering of the church or kind of joining the family of God that happens. There's all these different things that happens, which sometimes I'm like, couldn't we just make it simple and it kind of be one (laughs) thing that happens, then we can easily, easily explain it. Um, and then one of the, one of the key images that Paul uses is dying and rising, right? Right. As another thing that happens. That is going on. That, yeah. And all of these things are being mixed together. The dying and rising, I think, is kind of an interesting image because that pushes back against, I think, some of our tendencies to think this is kind of an easy thing right. or even receiving grace is an easy thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, th- I think that's wonderful, Matt. And I think one of the things baptismal identity can do for us is frame our suffering because a lot of times, mm-hmm. especially in uh, some churches that aren't sure what to do with suffering, and there, there's a tendency among some churches, I think especially in North America, but across the globe, to associate Christianity and following Jesus with joy exclusively. Now, it is connected to joy, (laughs) but it's also connected to suffering. So Jesus says, uh, if anyone wants to follow me, they must take up their cross and follow me. Well, there's suffering. And so baptism gives us a way to think about our suffering, not that we're looking for it, not that we're hoping for it, not that we'd like to add our suffering, but when we suffer for the faith, when we suffer because we're mocked or we're ridiculed or demeaned or belittled or just uh, because of human stupidity or callousness or just the misery in the world is compounded in some way in our neighborhood, our baptism gives us a way to think, I've died and risen with Christ. I have, I have particip- I've received his suffering for my sake, but I'm also kind of, as Paul says in Colossians, filling out 
um, the suffering of Jesus for the sake of the church in some mysterious way. So baptism, it, it would be nice, I guess, if it were simple, <laughs> <laughs> but we probably wouldn't be having a podcast about yeah, it. Right. So I think it's, it's kind of beautiful in its multifacetedness. So, yeah, so maybe I can have you parse that out a little bit more for me, right? So, if, And me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I probably need it too. <laughs> so you're saying it helps frame our suffering in, in the sense that we're sort of baptized, and then when we suffer, we find our, our identity with Christ deepened? Is right. that what you're saying? So the identity that's established in our, we die with Christ, we rise with Christ, we participate in those actions... Right. That that then becomes sort of a rhythm for our experience right. of life. Is that kind of what you're saying? So we are always dying and rising with Christ. Uh, there's an old catechism that says that's uh, what uh, repentance means. We die with Christ, we rise with Christ. And so in worship, uh, most Sundays in your beautifully crafted prayers, Matt, and in Aaron's wonderful music, there's a, there's a sense of dying and rising and dying and rising. Um, and that, so that there's a, to live a life of following Jesus is to live a life of repentance, which is to say, I'm going to die and rise. And maybe not to overly complicate things, but you named all these facets of baptism. One facet of baptism, and the early church saw this when Jesus was baptized, uh, it wasn't just that he was associating with us sinners, which uh, Dale Bruner calls the first miracle of Jesus. He's waiting in line to be baptized, just like. In a sense, we wait to be baptized. He's shuffling along with all these other sinners, all these sinners, uh, and John the Baptist baptizes him. But when he's baptized, he is also commissioned and called. So he hears the voice of God, the Father, speak over him, you are my son, and you, I am well pleased. Well, he is commissioned then, and he goes into the desert, and he's tempted for 40 days, and he launches his ministry. When we're baptized... One of the things going on is that we die and rise. Another thing going on is we're receiving grace. But another thing going on, as if there aren't <laughs> enough, is that um, we are being commissioned. And part of that re- loops back to our suffering. So if you're commissioned um, to love the world and to care for the world and to uh, love your enemies, well, there's some risk in that. And so the, you can see how that all kind of reinforces itself, right? Yeah. I like the idea of, I mean, it, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of sort of renewal imagery in baptism. I think this is kind of, we've talked about this in terms of worship services, and, and, and I think also in terms of the idea of slow worship, like, right. <laughs> it's just, you just have to kind of keep working at it. You're, you're going to have, it's sort of this um, sine wave of, um, of of faith, the sine wave of faith. Is oh, that something? Is that I don't know if that's term. something. I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that honesty. Is that yeah. something? Is that something? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. It should be a something. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but yeah, like the the idea of renewal, the idea of uh, why when we come to worship every week, we'll receive communion and we'll be reminded of our baptismal identity and kind of these things that. Uh, that we just as sort of people living in a broken world need to kind of keep reminding ourselves about. And um, I think, I think it's, it doesn't, I think the idea of baptism, this is why I love the water imagery for baptism right. too, right? Cause it's so easy to be renewed by water. And if I don't take a shower until, you know, three in the afternoon, one day, I, I feel it, right? We like do too. <laughs> <laughs> 
We all do. I biked in. Those close to you do as well. <laughs> I biked into work today. And I'm wondering if how much I smell right now. But I did change my clothes. Did someone open that door. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love the opportunity for, for renewal, for dying and rising, for being washed clean, for remembering that we're part of the family when we receive communion, all those kind of images. Okay, so what you're saying make, makes me think about this question, right? So we talked about back, baptism and Eucharist or communion, their tight relation. We, we practice Eucharist every week, right? But baptism, we kind of talk about as a one-time event, and then you remember it. Why, in what we're saying, what's, the, what's kind of the reason that you don't kind of baptize every week? Like people come in, like they line up and they come forward, <laughs> and they're baptized. Well, there's a sense in which... Uh, that's not so far from the truth. So we're, we're talking about slow worship. And um, there are some churches, right, where there's a baptismal. The baptismal is historically in the front of the church. So you enter in through your baptism and you remember every single week when you come into church that you are baptized. This is your identity or this is your opportunity to be baptized. So some people touch water, sometimes make a sign of the cross. Some people say that's a Roman Catholic thing. It's, it's really a deeply historical, centuries-old Christian thing. Mm. So, but that's a baptismal reminder. And some people, some churches have a baptismal kind of reminder on the way to Eucharist. So on the way to receiving communion, you touch water again and maybe cross yourself. But the water touching is a way to say, I am baptized um, and now I'm ready to receive this food of my baptism of dying and rising. Christ yeah, died yeah. And, ri- and rose again. Yeah. Yeah, it strikes me. I mean, to answer my own question, maybe. <laughs> you're just you're setting prob- yourself you're probably up. The, yeah. <laughs> I was not setting myself up, but I was thinking, uh, you know, now I'm processing it because I, I, you know, I asked the question and I'm thinking about why. You know, what comes to mind is, um, you know, like youth, youth camps where like there's kind of the rededication experience yeah. Yeah. And so, and then you have um, the traditions where it's like every rededication chance you should probably take yeah. because who knows what you did since like since in the last then. five days since your previous <laughs> right. rededication, yeah. right? There's right. a certain tradition. And I think uh, like that tendency might lead you to think like, well, you, you probably do want to be maybe baptized fully. Like maybe you should be immersed each Sunday or something <laughs> right. like that. Yeah. But it's a different thing to say, Actually, you know what's happening here is not is not merely your repentance, not merely your dying and rising, but it's God's covenanting words over you. And those and right, so in some sense to do that would be to cheapen the fact that he has said over you, You're my beloved child, with whom I'm well pleased. And to say, Well, like it's it's not uh you need to say that again and again and again, God, because uh you saying it but him saying it once is kind of that's enough. That's all that ever needs to be said for him. And then it's an invitation to remember that that's been said over you. Right. It's maybe hard to become a spiritually mature Christian if you are being, if you're sort of preoccupied with constant renewal and constant baptism. Trying to always reset or something. Maybe right? because that's the wise. because the second half of this is the commission. So now oh, you yeah, need to grow good. in your faith and you have other work to do as a Christ follower, maybe. Uh, it's well said, I think, because mm-hmm. baptism really is missional. And to remember, sometimes people think these old practices are devoid of mission and we have to sort of update them so they can relate to people in a new culture or in a variety of cultures. But baptism really commissions us to go to pray in the wilderness, to love people, to heal people just like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was thinking as we're talking, maybe the 
best thing we can say is the more baptism is about God and his grace, the better off we all are. Mm-hmm. Because multiple traditions have, I need to be rebaptized because I've sinned since the last time I was baptized. Right. Yeah. I need to come forward at camp because I've sinned since the last time I've come forward at camp. Well, yeah, you have. But as Aaron said so well, um, it's not about that. It's about you receiving grace again. And it's not just, I mean, there, there are more sacramental traditions like Catholicism, who sometimes there's a element in Catholicism where there's, I'm postponing my baptism until I'm done sinning so that, uh, <laughs> that it'll be good. It'll cover yeah, me, yeah, which is yeah. just, it, it's just like going to Bible camp from yeah. a Bible college kind right. of thing. It's interesting how those are alike in ways they would both maybe find. Similar instincts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, right, too, because you have, it feels like remembering, the power of remembering baptism, right, that is some of sort of this receiving grace by faith, right? Because it's not just, if, if there was something kind of magic about baptism, then you might want it yeah, kind of to happen every week, a- all the time, mm-hmm. like yeah, or every day, day. Or right before you die. Yeah, or, or right before you die, yeah. exactly. But the it's the participation in the and faith in the fact that those words have a have a finality and a significance. And when God speaks, He means it. Right? right. He's not He's not pulling a prank in baptism and sort of saying, you know, maybe I mean it. Right. You'll I said I loved you, but we'll You'll see find about out that. next week. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing we wanted to kind of name this morning, it's, is it still morning? <laughs> it's not. It's 12.42. It's sunset. It's early afternoon now. <laughs> Anybody, if you're listening at 12.42, congratulations. You're right on time. You're, you're on schedule. <laughs> but we alluded to this kind of at the beginning of the conversation about it doesn't matter sort of the age or the amount of water. Um, but we thought this is maybe a, this is a time to kind of touch briefly on the idea of what what people call infant baptism, because we did say at some point in this conversation that there has there this level there's like a level of engagement that happens right with the person being baptized. So, and and I know this is a topic that could probably that we'll probably more like discuss more later. But um, I thought it, it, like it's it worth it's worth talking about at least a little bit. Yeah, and it's obviously very emotional and uh, for people to talk about and to it's, think about if they've been baptized a certain way or they've been taught to and, think about baptism a certain way. It's kind of hard to think about baptism a different way. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, But it's a, it's a wonderful subject to bring up. I'd say maybe a couple things, and then we could kick it around some more. One is I think the main recommendation of the Bible is to be immersed. And um, I think we just need to say the dominant image is to be buried with Christ and risen with Christ. So there's no person too small. Our Orthodox friends, again, uh, dunk completely immerse infants. And uh, we've done that a couple times at Grant Springs to a very wide-eyed congregation (laughs) and mom and dad. uh, This little person was immersed at their mom and dad's request because uh, they wanted to bring them to baptism. And the whole congregation found it utterly delightful. So just a way to say sometimes we think... Um, it's either or, but really baptism is often both and. And I would say this, I, I, I'm less comfortable with the idea of, or the naming of infant baptism, and I, I would prefer the name covenant baptism. So we are bringing people into the covenant. If you go back to that image of placing people into the river or stream of grace at whatever age they are. So it's mm-hmm. really covenant baptism if you're 86, which is the oldest 
person we've baptized here at Grant Springs. It's covenant baptism if you're a teenager at 13 or 16. It's covenant baptism really if you're uh, an infant just a few weeks old, which we uh, just uh, had a couple uh, just a couple days ago. So, so the word covenant in this situation, so we think of it as, pro- yeah, as, prom- as promise, right? Yeah, as promise. That's great clarification, Aaron. So covenant is this idea that God says to us, just like he said to Jesus when he was baptized, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Because of Jesus, we are brought into the covenant. So the covenant is this old f- framing. So Old Testament, New Testament, it's really old covenant, new covenant, testament is covenant in that world. So covenant is this idea that God reaches out to us and says, have I got a deal for you? (laughs) And the deal is, I'm going to be your God, no matter how bad you screw up. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to whisper my grace in your ear and say, because of Jesus, you are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And that's really the way the covenant works. So uh, just some examples in the New Testament. So Lydia is baptized in the New Testament as a, a entrepreneurial businesswoman, and then her whole household is baptized. We don't know who was in there, but it feels like covenant baptism. And uh, same with a Philippian jailer, this rugged ex, probably military uh, person in the Roman army, is baptized. He goes from suicide to baptism in mm-hmm. like uh, moments, minutes, mm-hmm. or an hour or something, and his whole family is baptized as a sign of of stepping into that flow of grace again. Hmm. I think that's really helpful and probably just the introduction to a future longer conversation, right? Because the, yeah, when you start talking about covenant and covenantal language, we've talked actually pretty individually today about baptism and what that experience means for our lives. But what does that mean for the community of the church or the people right. of God to be baptized, to be baptized together. What does it look like to support one another in baptism and living out baptismal identity? There's plenty more we could talk about. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. There's whole conversations about why the early church created baptismal places right near the main sanctuary and why they had certain artwork in them that told the whole story as if to say, when you go down into your baptism, you are rising up as part of this new story you're taking on. Yeah. Well, uh, we're like a broken record when we do this, but we should talk about this again. To be another episode of part two coming. Um, So listeners, you can look forward to that. And uh, you can thank yourselves that we joined you today for this episode. Is that how, is that where we landed with that? I, I think that, I think that how it works. So thank you, Kevin, for joining us today. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for uh, you know, coming and talking to me after the, the special guest couldn't make it. I, I appreciate being second choice. It's great. No, it's great. I'm trying to think guys. who our first option would be for baptism that wouldn't be Kevin. And it would be a pretty lofty... We asked Tom Wright. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We asked Tom Wright. <laughs> and his people never got back to us. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us, for having us join you. And uh, until next time, this is Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. Thanks for being curious with us.